Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Uh, okay, so here we go. Oh, wait, you know what? What episode are we? <laughs> your voice has changed. I'm joking. <laughs> We're episode 29. Oh, my God. Okay, here we go. Well, being an athlete was my life, and actually it eventually became part of my job. But I always felt I had a, a kinship with musicians who, very similar to athletes, train and practice hours at a time to the point of exhaustion, just trying to perfect their skill. And for an athlete, it could be looking for that uh, championship trophy or that Olympic glory. And I think for a musician, it could be looking for that chart topper or for that recording contract, or even maybe to be able to make the orchestra, make the team. And so you have these individuals that come together either to make this team or to make this orchestra. And it's all about taking these unique skills and building it into one awesome, fantastic team. And on a sideline, you have the coach who's calling the shots and who's making the decisions. And then with the orchestra, you have the conductor. And so that brings me to our guest today. It is wonderful to be able to welcome a world-renowned conductor and the musical director of Canada's National Arts Centre Orchestra, Alexander Shelley. It's so Hi. great to be chatting again. Yeah, it's great to see you again. Thank yes. you for having me. You're welcome. This is episode 29 of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And for more information, as always, you can head to extensionmarketing.com. Alexandra, you're here. I'm like thinking Zoe's going to call you at any second to say that she's gone into labor. You're you're expecting any second, like in the next week or so at this yeah. point. Yeah. In the next week or two, it could happen. Uh, who knows? Uh, but she's, uh, she's in great health and she's... Uh, uh, very excited about it. I think she's reached that stage that, as far as I can understand, a lot of uh, uh, soon-to-be mothers reach the very end of pregnancy where it's like, this is enough already. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, yeah. I, I could, he needs to be out now. Yeah, so. you're done. Yeah. <laughs> I've been following her, actually, and, and you said as we as you came in, I had Zoe on. Oh, she you was did. one of my first guests, and I yeah. love her, and I still have people talk coming yeah. up to me and saying, oh my God, that was such a cool story about Wonder Woman and the Amazon. I loved the the, the, the conversation you had. We, we we listened to it the week it came out mm-hmm. uh, while we were driving to Montreal, actually, Zoe and I, and I, I said, can we listen to it? I really want to hear it. She's like, yeah. Anyway, we put it on, and uh, I just found it fascinating, even you know being married to her and knowing her, but hearing the two of you talk and sharing you know you as an athlete, her having trained for Wonder Woman in that, in that way, hearing hearing you to uh, you know compare your experiences I found it fascinating yeah I thought her story was amazing and also just her background you know into music and how mm. she trained and, and just how it all evolved and I thought that was really interesting when we came into this podcast is when we're t- you know the premise of the podcast really is health and wellness and mm. lifestyle and, and people's stories but I really felt when I was looking at what it is that you do mm. and how people relate to it athletes, musicians, it becomes a lifelong passion. It's something that's created young and trained very young. Well, I agree. And, you know, listening to that conversation that you had with Zoe um, and thinking, I've I've loved sports all my life and and thinking about what's involved in becoming a professional musician, um, also finding fulfillment in the life as a professional musician. It's the kind of uh, breadth that you also need in so many other walks of life. It's not just taking care of yourself physically and of course music is 
is all about physicality. Sometimes it's very fine motoric stuff. You know, if you're a, if you're a, if you're playing a flute or a piccolo mm-hmm. or something that's very small. Piano, you know, you have to think about your musculature and your shoulders, your back, your arms. You have to be hyper aware of every detail and every nuance because pianists for 40 minutes will be using all 10 fingers independently and remembering swathes and swathes, tens of thousands of notes um, that they're reproducing. And every tiny difference in weighting in a single finger is the difference between right or wrong, between a phrase sounding great or not. But beyond that, and it's the same for all instruments, the same for Mm -hmm. a conductor as well, the physicality, but beyond that, you're looking for... Uh, the kind of why of what of what you're doing, so it, it opens also these doors to to the question of why do we all communicate? What 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 is it about music that's compelling for an audience? What is it about watching uh, a sense game that is so compelling for 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 the people watching? Is it's not just that they love hockey. It represents something else. It mm-hmm. represents something quite fundamental in who we all are. You know, this idea of team, this idea of individual excellence, this idea of of combat, but at the service also of entertainment and stuff. So there's a whole load of themes that are similar. But- there really are. And, and, and what people get out of it, and I, I find at so many different times, music can be incredibly healing or inspirational or create this... Um, this feeling within you that Absolutely. either can inspire or sadden. I mean, there's so many ways to look at this. Uh, and you talk about the fundamentals of it. And so let's go back because mm. <laughs> that's genetically, right. it's, it's ingrained in you. I mean, you are uh, read from music and p- right. pianists as, as as parents. Like, take us through kind of uh, the up- upbringing for you because okay. you you were born into yeah, I, I I think probably like anybody, you you take what you're born into for granted, and then when you look back, you realize there may have been elements that were unusual for other people. Um, but in in our in our home, my parents' house, when I was born, there were five grand pianos. So that's weird already. I know that now. Back then, it, it didn't seem weird. It just seemed that dad and mum sat at these big instruments all day and there practiced. Were, but there weren't two. There were five. There were five. So in and there was one on the ground floor. One of the it, my parents have a fairly large house in the north of London. There's one on the ground floor, one on the second floor, and on the top floor, um, there were three grand pianos. One that my mother used on her own to practice. Uh, then there was a room uh, separating her room from my father's studio, and he had two concert grand pianos. These are what a nine, eleven foot long uh, Steinways. Uh, that were end-to-end. So he would practice on one. But the thing is that 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 part of my life, when I was a little baby, my parents um, also played uh, concerts as a two-piano team. So dad would be playing as a soloist with orchestras or recitals, which is a concert on your own Mm -hmm. as a a pianist. But they also did uh, concerts with orchestras or as a duo um, on two pianos. There's a lot of repertoire for that. So uh, either they'd be practicing separately or they'd be in the same room playing. And I used to, as I then learned to crawl and, and sort of the beginnings of walking, I, it used to be one of the games I loved doing, which was go upstairs to my dad's studio, push open the door, imagining he didn't know I was coming in. And of course, he saw the door opening, mm. but I would crawl under the piano while he was playing. And then I'd surprise him by grabbing his legs. But of course, it wasn't a surprise. But, um, but that, that, you know, something I'm thinking about now as 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 we're about to have a baby is... Um, you know the resonance of the instruments was was completely part of of my time in in the womb. My mother was practicing up against the piano, um, and you know of course mm-hmm. the resonance was just bombarding me as a as a as a little uh, fetus. Um, and then in the first few years of my life, I think every, every night I went to sleep, um, I would hear from upstairs my parents practicing. So. I, I sometimes say music was my first language, but I really mean that. Um, it sounds a terribly sort of, you know, well, it doesn't. strange I, thing to say, but... 
It makes so much sense. I, and and I, I have noticed because, I mean, I follow you and mm-hmm. Zoe, but you have been doing that. You There's there's a sense of music. I mean, I know that there's microphones and music yeah. playing and, and you want that also for yeah. your son, you know, to be able yeah. to have that first exposure. Yeah. I've written a little song that is yeah. really, it's, it's really uh, sweet that we play for him. Like, uh, the, it's about uh, him being, it's it's terrible. I mean, they're like, the text is, it's like for a child, but it's <laughs> Have cute. you read I, most children's book? Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll see how, how some of the text can be. But we play be. it to yeah. him and stuff. But, uh, but no, those, those early uh, weeks and, and months of my life anyway, the music was, was there and, and it carried on like that. The, my, um, my my parents were traveling a lot, which is also going to be part of our lives. And I, I traveled a lot with them. Um, and again, it seemed like the the sort of, it just seemed normal at that stage. I realize now looking back that that was fairly unusual. And, um, you know, for me, it was incredible to travel like that. Again, looking back, uh, to, to be in the first few years of my life in so many different countries. And and when you're a musician, you work with a lot of, of people. Um, uh, I stand in front of 70 different people every week in a different mm-hmm. city somewhere. Um, so as a young person following along, you, you, you get a very interesting impression of the world. It's, it's through a particular uh, lens, of mm-hmm. course. But um, th- there was all of that in, in my youth. And then, of course, the, the training started to come in. So I, I, before, I think before I could speak, I started to hit notes on the piano. Yeah. You were. When you would be a, a child kind of on the sidelines, mm. you know, watching from from backstage, let's say, mm. were you drawn to watching your parents on stage or were you looking towards the percussion section or the trumpet? You like, know, or were you still watching it, you know, what it, they were doing? It's a very interesting question. My my strongest recollections from when I was a little kid are of watching my dad. It, yeah, of, of seeing him on stage and remembering watching him very carefully. There's particularly when you have uh, a piano soloist in front of a big orchestra, you know, a big piano concerto. There is something, I think it's one of the reasons also audiences love those pieces, there's something deeply heroic about it. There's this one guy mm-hmm. or woman on an instrument uh, battling away against this huge orchestra. And I think, um, uh, you know, every child idolizes their parents. And uh, that was very, it was very easy to idolize my parents in that situation because they did look like kind of heroes. Well, and did they command a different, were they different? Could you see the difference with how they practiced and then what persona they carried onto the stage. Like, did you see that there was a difference between what you experienced in your home right. and what you were experiencing watching them on stage? Well, actually, I have to say my both my parents are very sort of s- straight up, genuine sort of uh, a people. Who, are they, they down to earth? They're very down okay. to earth, yeah. Um, I mean, in their way, everybody, you know, I'm yeah. sure there are people who well, them know, say, <laughs> well, you know, how down to earth can you be doing Wait, what you do? Yes. But but dad and mom would not change at all walking on stage. They, and um, and actually, I think that was a very interesting lesson for me. One of one of the uh, interesting aspects of talking about that time in my early sort of uh, formative life is is asking myself how much of the way I am now was sort of instilled in me then. And um, you know, everybody has to find their way of being a performer, whether it's, you know, presenting a show, whether it's whether it's performing as a sports person, whether it's a musician or a politician or whatever, you know, going at the office and doing your job well. But um, particularly with performing uh, in any way, you have the option and sometimes it's very necessary for people to say, I have 
my private persona, but I also kind of adopt mm -hmm. a public persona. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, interestingly, though, I, I, uh, when I perform, I feel very relaxed up to the minute I go on stage. I can very quickly focus. So it takes me 10 seconds, literally, just to get in the zone for going on stage. Um, and I feel very comfortable out there. I, I, I always have. And I think a lot of that was just because I was used to seeing it when I was younger. That's not to say that my parents um, didn't, uh, you know, grapple with with challenges. I mean, being a being a concert pianist is a is an incredibly difficult lifestyle. Um, I think uh, that being a conductor has very different challenges, but the moment of performance is easier than if you are a, a solo violinist or a solo pianist or you know a soloist standing in front of an orchestra, because for a conductor, a lot of the work is done in the rehearsal period. You're, you're, you're forging a relationship of trust and, and belief with the group of musicians. And because, you know, by virtue of the fact that when you're conducting an orchestra, the movements are bigger and less precise than if you're playing a piano, obviously. Um, and the immediate implications of tiny changes in nuance aren't quite the same as a piano. Um, so the, the sort of stress element is a very different one for a conductor. Um, and and yet, when I observed my dad as, as as a young man, and when I observed my mum performing, they seemed very natural. And I think, uh, you know, you're conditioned by that. I think I just felt, I, I think it just became part of me, and I'm very grateful for that because I could have had neurotic parents who made me neurotic <laughs> when I performed. It, it could have been. You know? Well, I, I I might think with, with any life experience, uh, our upbringing and what we're exposed to really kind of shapes, especially as you were mentioning in those formative what what happens. I'm going to get back to what life is like as a conductor because I find I've learned a lot um, as to exactly what it is that you do that I think people aren't familiar with. And so I'm going to mm. I'll hit on that. But I want to hit on first. So we're growing up in this household. Mm. You start to hit keys at a very young age. At what point did you or your parents and, and those around you realize that you yourself had your own unique talents and that you were going to be, you know, sitting at a computer, at a, computer, <laughs> at a piano, very, very similar to them, practicing hours on end? And, and it well, was also the cello. The cello, cello became well, my yeah. main instrument. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my, my grandmother was a cellist. Um, she taught the cello. She was a teacher at a school. Um and taught other things as well, but music was her sort of uh, her, her forte, if you excuse the pun. Um, and she she taught me the uh, <laughs> she uh, does in the music care. Yeah, yeah. She taught me the the the, the cello, and because um, it was there I, when I went to visit her, it was under her piano. She played the piano as well, and I always wanted to sort of play with it and touch it. And you have to get to a certain size to play the cello because it's a bigger instrument. Um, but um, uh, but you know what I I think. Again, because my parents were in the industry, um, it, it they knew that talent, uh, a gift for playing an instrument or for music, uh, was by no means a guarantee that that was your profession. Um, so they were actually very, very laid back about the whole thing. They they were actually the sort of adamant that I would go and have actually a very serious academic education rather than a very serious musical education because I got the music at home and they they told me they taught me a lot about practice my mother taught me all the sort of background stuff in music that the listeners may not be aware of but harmony and counterpoint and oral tests and things like that so you the analysis of music all the sort of bread and butter about reading music and we have lots of different clefs so the way music's written is you know there's lots of different ways to to, to read it she taught me all of that stuff at home they talked to me about practice and how to 
uh, be good at it and what's involved in it. But they also knew that the drive had to come from me. Mm -hmm. So they would get angry if I hadn't done my certain number of hours because they were, I think, thinking more as parents rather than musicians. They were thinking you just have to learn also to, to be disciplined in one way or another. But they 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 never held back from saying to me, listen, we want you to, to do this because it's part of growing up, is, is learning how to work concentratedly for an hour or two. But if you can't, then that's your choice. We're not going to make you long-term sit at a cello for hours and sit at a piano for hours. You have to want it. What was the what was the day like? I mean, it was school. How many hours a day would you be practicing? Oh, this is a good question, Lord. Um, so I reckon from, from probably when I was five or six, mm -hmm. seven, I don't know, I was doing at least a couple of hours a day on, mm -hmm. on different instruments. And that continued all the way through my life um, and there would be periods then when you up that three four hours five I was never one I am now so as a, as a conductor and this is interesting I really found the my my passion in the sense of something that I if, if I was not paid well don't tell anyone the NEC that but if I was not paid I would still do it <laughs> but I you know I could study scores uh, which is the, the sort of main life of a conductor behind the scenes, I could do it 15 hours a day and and, and, and feel and, like and no time had passed at all. Whereas when I was practicing the piano and the cello, um, the, the, I would I would be aware that time was passing, let's say that. I, I, I had a natural It was like, gift. if I get this done one more time, let's let's play this through one more time, that'll kind of yeah. get because to the I end loved, of practice. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I loved school. Um, uh, I loved learning about things. Yeah. I also loved sports. Uh, I played a lot of tennis, what did you play? a lot of soccer, okay. a lot of cricket because I'm English. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved, and I loved running. I, I, I was always, I always loved athletics. So, for me, the, a lot of my youth, when I think back on it, was was juggling lots of different things. But my days were very full, and and to this day, I, if I'm not studying scores, I will. Or if I'm not with Zoe and we're doing, we tend to do things. You know, we love to go for a walk. Yeah. We love to go and you guys visit. Are very active. I yeah. And and I look at this. I mean, from my background, I was training four hours a day right. as a young gymnast, yeah. right? right? And so it was. I you, yeah. I did that every yeah. day, and and so I, I see that it was very similar. You come home from school, and yeah. it was sitting at the piano or sitting with the cello, and you had a couple hours to go. Exactly. Um, and it's funny that you found your refuge. It was kind of like I needed to still be able to go play soccer and yep. to still. And with my mom, she still made me play. I had piano lessons. Funny. So, so we're like you know, the it, was same, like, yeah. <laughs> it was almost like to yeah. be able to be exposed yeah. that I was using different aspects, you know. And yeah. and we the only time we could fit it in was Wednesdays, you know, in the middle of my lunch break, you mm. know, was getting into my piano yeah. lessons. But to be able to have um, that exposure, that it needed to be well rounded, right? Yeah. That it what that you were still able to be active and to do all of that. And yeah. I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking as you're running, are you like I need music? Like, are you playing concerts? Well, are you playing like what? What? What's in your head as you're doing all of these? When, when I when I run nowadays, mm -hmm. um, and this has been my routine for fifteen years now. Um, God, I'm old. Like twenty years now, it's been my routine <laughs> um, that uh, I will spend the day studying. Uh, this is if I'm you know at home yeah. uh, preparing for, for for going away to to perform or rehearse. I will. Uh, I spend the day studying scores and I will often then listen to a recording of the piece or pieces that I've been studying while I'm while running. You're running and a lot of the thoughts the the the, the sort of cerebral elements that I've I've been thinking about all day will then would just sort of connect 
uh, with the music as I listen to it, and it just—I mean, it distracts me completely from yeah. the, the it running. Gets you through the run, you yeah. get from A to B, and and you and yeah. you've had that. As you're growing up, then, and so you're playing. You have the piano and you have the cello. You were winning awards, mm-hmm. and you were. You were noticed early, mm-hmm. I, and I think you were one of the youngest to be able to win a, a number of awards. And mm-hmm. I, I could look at them; mm-hmm. I have them written down. Mm-hmm. But in your life, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. accolades are insane. Yeah. When was the shift then to knowing that you could sit there and read scores, and that the conducting aspect, mm-hmm. and not necessarily being a part of this orchestra or playing, was where you wanted to go? Well, I think it was actually a. F- a v- very young if you think about what a conductor does then it's quite weird if you're 13 or 14 to be thinking about wanting to do that and mm-hmm. that's that's the age for me that it really became I, I I'm very interested in doing this and my dad uh, and my mom when when we were talking about the sort of strategy for my education because it became clear to me I want to be a musician around the same age uh, as in I definitely <laughs> want to become a musician uh, it had always been they'd left it particularly open they'd said go to school, see what interests you, see what draws you, which was very pragmatic of them. Um, it was, I think it was a, a great thing to do because then when I came to make the decision, it felt like me saying, I, I want to become a musician. And, and it's dad. very difficult as parents. Right. Knowing their lifestyle, yeah. knowing how talented you are. Right. Like to, well, have, to, step, s- to step back and, and allow it so that it was going to be you feeling that you had made this decision on I, your own. I already feel yeah. it for, for, for our little boy is going to be born in the next few weeks. I know I shouldn't put any pressure on him, but I also, I'm going to be training the shit out of him (laughs) musically. I'm going to make sure that he's ninja at everything. And And then you hope, you pray that that love is is born within them and that they say to you, no, dad, I want to do this because I want to do it. If he wants to. But uh, sorry, just, uh, I mean, to get back to your question in a second, one one of the things I wanted to emphasize about the the practice, because, you know, you had the four hours a day Mm -hmm. uh, training and I I had a similar amount uh, all those years. Um, it was actually my father who at one point during my teenage years when I was being a bit kind of I don't want to practice that much and I want to do other stuff um, he said to me well listen I I can't tell you that you have to do a certain number of hours because it's not about the certain number of hours it's about being focused when you do it and that is it sounds like a very obvious thing to say but I'm very aware that it's an interesting uh, toss up for parents when they're asking their kids to do anything, uh, practice anything, is that just doing a thing for a certain number of hours doesn't mean you're going to get better at it. It's how you do that thing. It's how you train. And if if a kid ideally is focused, even if it's for 15 minutes, but really focuses and really trains something consciously and carefully, that's way better than an hour of just kind of being in a room with an instrument or roughly mm-hmm. kind of... Um, and that is a, such a fundamental aspect of what comes later. Um, it's not just about the hours. But, of course, you can't do it without the hours. <laughs> right. You can't do it without the repetition. But the repetition of being focused on exactly what it is that exactly. you're doing goes much further. Because you can repeat mistakes a That's lot. That's it. And if you do something 10 times, get it right twice, you've actually practiced getting it wrong more than you have getting it right. I think one of my coaches was always like perfect practice makes perfect. It it was exactly. It, I didn't. It didn't matter that I did ten routines if they, if it exactly. the two mattered exactly. Uh, and so it's interesting. And and I think it's the same. Are you like that even now? If you if you've been with an orchestra, uh, and you've done it right, well, that you don't I, there's that you don't feel the necessity. Let's repeat this three more times when you when the focus. I is. so that's. It, 
it's interesting to be talking about it because it, it becomes clear to me actually that that's it's very fundamental to me in the, in in rehearsal. Um, if if a mistake is made once, that's fine. We, we all make mistakes once, um, and the second time it would be something that we would then as a group talk about and correct. But if it persists, I I have this bit of me that gets quite annoyed, <laughs> to put to put it frankly, and that's not um, because of you know, any individuals, it, it would be often to do with a group um, dynamic. And the orchestras that I love working with, which includes, of course, uh, the, the National Arts Centre Orchestra, uh, above all, is um, other groups that have that kind of discipline um, where we all understand mistakes can be made, mm -hmm. but they're eradicated quickly because that focus is there. It's that, that, like you need as an individual saying, right, I've just played that scale or I've just done that. Give me an example of a gymnastic move. What would there be a flip? Yeah. Yeah, I've just done it twice wrong. I'm not going to carry on doing it wrong because then I'm just training myself to do it wrong. Um, and it's and it's the same in an orchestra, it's the same for an individual. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I, I digress. You know yeah. in, in sports too, sometimes there's a fear, a fear of failure, mm. a fear of doing something. Was mm. there ever that going, you know, that fear of being on stage, you know, people, they freeze or that you could have that talent and be able to practice it and be focused. And right. then have you seen people go through that where they get onto the stage uh, and there's stage fright, you know, yeah. and that they can't correlate what they've practiced to being able to perform it. There, I, I mean, I've seen it and one sees it a lot. And there are also stories of some of the, the greatest uh, performers who were terrified to go on stage. Um, I, that's then a personality thing. And a lot of stuff will be rooted again in, in, in childhood experiences and expectations and pressures. Um, I think on a, on a sort of practical level, if, if you're experiencing those things, I'm, the first port of call would be how how do you prepare? Are you is there an elephant in the room mentally, mm. psychologically that you're kind of skirting around? You're pretending it's not there. It doesn't need dealing with. And, and frankly, I think as with sports people, um, as with anyone, if something persists uh, and you 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 it becomes clear to you it is a psychological psychological issue. I think there are very good people out there who help train the brain because oftentimes it's not just about how much practice you put in or how talented you are but it's also overcoming certain issues in your personality which mean that when you get on stage you may have trouble performing um and it's i think in music um you are you are you're naked on stage you know with the degree of what is expected from you as as a, as a great performer um you're you're very you're very naked and it's important to be frank with yourself and say, how can I, how, if I want to do this, what do I need to change about myself? And it's wonderfully exciting in a way. Did you love being on stage? Like, did you get that excitement, like that competitive edge when you were going out? Like, did you thrive on it? Uh, well, I do now and mm -hmm. I have done it. Conducting is, is my, I just found the thing that is right for me psychologically as well. Um, as a cellist, as a as a pianist, I, I never took the piano as seriously as I did the cello. Mm. I really performed a lot as a cellist, um, and there it was a lot during my mid to late teenage years, because after that I really focused on conducting. A, a difficult time in any young man's life, and you know I was like any teenager, and and, uh, and so I, was it cool to be doing what you were doing? It was your world. I 
I don't know if it was cool or not. I was I was at a school where um, there were a lot of different personalities mm -hmm. and people were actually, when I look back, very open-minded about it. I mean, I was also, I wasn't, I think the North American term would be jock. I wasn't mm -hmm. a jock per se, but I did do, I was on all the teams and stuff, which helped. I guess if I'd been kind of... Just I, band camp. Yeah, just band camp. Maybe my life would have been different. I never felt mm -hmm. in any way... I, I actually felt very proud of what I did and people seemed to sort of respect it. You know, I performed a lot of concerts yeah. and stuff. Um, but, uh, but no, the, the, um, the, where were we? The aspect of, it was the cello and the. Yeah, but I was like when you, that you thrived on stage and then you said, oh, sorry. so as a conductor, yes, but you were saying as a yeah, cellist. No, no, sorry, that was it. As, as, a, as a cellist, um, I know it was related absolutely to how much I'd really focused when I was practicing. And I would have, I definitely had performances where I was more jittery. And, and I knew going on stage, this is going to be, a, this is going to be hard for me to play as well as I want to. And then I would be nervous. And I remember that feeling. I remember hating it because I had not sort of grown up with a feeling of, of any apprehension going on stage at all. Um, and, and that was a lesson for me. I mean, I, I think I was well armed through my parents to be analytical and to understand if if you're experiencing experiencing nerves like that it's because you have skipped a step in the preparation and and i i knew that and um so I, the, the great thing is though i found this 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 metier where i honestly if there were if there were 50 hours in the day i would work all of them because i love them love it so much <laughs> i think that relates for a lot of people whether it's being prepared to go into a business meeting or right. being prepared you know it's, yeah. it's the preparation absolutely if you feel prepared you the feeling of walking in and doing this once you've done it that it it makes so much sense absolutely so you go from the time of being of your youth of playing mm -hmm. and then really having this discussion with your parents saying i feel this passion towards the conducting aspect mm. and the studying and the understanding of music can you Take us through exactly what it is. When you say a conductor, right. and and I don't know right now, this is a, in podcast form. For those of you that are watching, you can see what Alexander looks like. Okay. When you think of a conductor, and maybe some of you have been sitting this whole time thinking, oh my God, this is an older gentleman with really silver hair who's just going to get dressed in a tuxedo and wave a baton. And I think that is the perception that most people have right. when we think of a conductor. Right. I'm... It's not insulting you, I hope, no, at this fine. point. We don't seem to think of the conductor mm. as... Um, the younger guy. It's just... The, well, the younger guy, I mean, we just know that the spotlight... We know that the spotlight comes mm. on the conductor mm. at the start of a performance. Mm. And that's pretty much most... That's that's all right. we're really that's all we're really thinking about is like yeah they're here we clap and here right. comes the show so what is it exactly that you're doing like what is the role what is the job of a conductor i see the coach on the mm -hmm. sidelines yeah what are you doing okay so um the the role of a conductor is uh is manifold um let's just talk a little bit about the history of, of why conductors exist so okay for for for, for many centuries people would perform uh, music without a conductor. They would be playing in smaller groups or they'd be in um, larger groups. But the music, it wasn't of, of a nature where you needed an outside person to kind of help uh, interpret or keep time or anything. And you'd have, let's say, the first violinist, he would lead and people would follow his body language or her body language, or a woodwind player would lead or whatever. You know, you'd have an individual within the ensemble um, would would sort of take the reins. Um, 
And uh, that carried on for a pretty long time. Then the mid-18th century, um, because music became a little bit more complex, the orchestra started to get a little bit bigger. Um, it became necessary for somebody to stand up the front. And at that time, they had like a staff, like a wizard, okay, like yeah, Gandalf, yeah. maybe a little smaller. <laughs> okay. um, and they would they would sort of beat time, like a military band nowadays. Mm-hmm. They would sort of yeah. move time. Um, and in fact, one of the earliest well-known conductors was a guy called Jean-Baptiste Lully, and he had a fairly long staff, and he managed to stab himself in the foot, and he got gangrene and died from it. So that was not a, a, a strong start to the profession. But anyway, then it developed, and there were you know composers like Mendelssohn, who, who was very well-known, and then moving on into Berlioz and Wagner, who became proponents of the art of conducting. And so let me talk about what it is. Well, uh, because it has developed over the years. Right. Um, but nowadays... Uh, I need, firstly, to prepare uh, the music. Now, that could be a piece that was written 500 years ago, 200 years ago. It could, it could be a piece that was written last week and is a brand new piece of music. Um, and when I say prepare, that means that, let's say there are, there are 60, 70 musicians. Uh, let's say there are four, 12, there's going to be about 30, 40 lines of music going on at the same time. 40 voices. What I do is I prepare um, the piece by analyzing it, mm-hmm. uh, understanding what's happening in the harmony, in the rhythm, in what we call the orchestration. So that's, um, if you imagine singing Frère Jacques or something, uh, is it one voice singing Frère Jacques or is it uh, two voices? Is that a soprano voice and a bass voice plus a flute? But would you, you know that a, based on what the... It's printed in there. It's printed in the score. So who's doing what where? Right. And, I analyze, and that's based on the composer. That's the composer okay. who wrote that. So what I'm doing is basically analyzing all the composer's intentions. I'm saying, well, what is the composer uh, doing here in terms of craftsmanship? That's the first line. The second, the second level of, of, of understanding the score is saying, okay, what is all this craftsmanship? trying to express, um, try to get to the root of uh, what a piece is is trying to say to an audience, trying to say to us. Now, sometimes that's a story. Sometimes uh, you see at the beginning of a score that there's a poem and the, the, the uh, composer is setting this poem to music, adding a layer of interpretation. Sometimes it's something abstract like a symphony. Um, and we could talk for two hours about mm-hmm. what a symphony is. and what, But um, there are lots of different forms, and I try and get into that. And so when I get to the first rehearsal, I have ideally the maximum amount of information possible swimming around my head that has to do with this piece. And then it depends on what, or- what orchestra I'm standing in front of. Uh, an analogy I like to use is that a conductor is both the mechanic for the car and the driver in the race. So rehearsals will... Uh, oftentimes be, you know, in the first rehearsal, we'll take a drive around the track, mm-hmm. first of all. We'll play the piece through once. See how the car's running. Yeah, see how the car's running. And, of course, remember, the car also has a brain in this, so the analogy starts to get a bit weird because musicians are very, very, you know, in orchestra, they're actively involved when they're playing. They'll, they'll listen to what's happening. They'll right. also start to... But you're also dealing with the best musicians yeah. in the world, right? Yeah. These the, these individuals mm. have also done their yep. hours and preparation and, uh, and their... Yep. They're the best of the best that you're dealing yep. with. So w- what you have then is the, the car. You've gone around the track once. You've mm-hmm. played the through, uh, piece through. You get back to the pit, and then you start to just work a little bit on the tires, the brakes, the engine, the oil. You just, you, you know, the, maybe take off a wing and put a different one on. Um, 
And but what if what if that tire doesn't want to be tweaked? Or well, no, no, what if the, they don't want more air in but there? But this, this is the thing. You have <laughs> okay. a, you have not only the tire will potentially say, uh, excuse me, yeah. I thought I was great on the run right. right. But yes. the rest of the uh, car might also say, well, we thought the tire was pretty good. What are you doing with the tire? So the thing is, you you this is why you prepare so much. You have to, there has to be plausibility behind everything you, you say. So you, you... At the end of the day, are you the boss? This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. At the end of the day, yes. At the end of the day, if you are kind of tweaking the tires and everything. At the end of the day, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, but of course, the the whole process is so much more powerful if everybody is actively involved. So um, uh, if, and this is why uh, conducting a lot of it is about uh, building a basis of trust and respect and mutual respect. It is so fundamental. Um, now, you could have trust and mutual respect and you could act like a dictator. That is possible. If you're so convincing in everything you say and it's so right that people have no choice but to say, you know what, we really believe in in, in him or her as a, as a conductor, then you'd have that trust and respect. Um, you can also find a way then, because I was going to add the next level is you're, you're driving around the track together. You've got the race together, which is the performance where actually you need to have a very... Um, uh, you need to have a symbiotic relationship. It's a psychological, emotional relationship with the players to get the best out of it. Can you tell if you're standing up there, uh, can you tell when you're looking at it, your orchestra, if, mm. you know, second violinist isn't feeling quite right that day? Or, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, your 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 trumpet player is, uh, they just don't have the wind in them that day. Like, are you Absolutely. able to, you can tell. And that's one of the interesting things because we, uh, as a... Um, before I get back to my extended analogy, I think it's very exciting. Um, as a conductor, you you have two different lives. You have the life uh, as a music director, the sort of permanent conductor of an orchestra, as with the National Arts Centre Orchestra here, where you will do something on average around the world between eight and 20 weeks a year, depending on your contract, how that orchestra works. I do 17 uh, weeks here in, in Ottawa with the orchestra. And when you're not with that orchestra, you're somewhere else in the world as a guest conductor for a week. So that's like having a coach go for a week to, to, to coach the Sens or the Maple Leafs. It's kind of unusual, um, but it's what we do. And, and so that is a, is a different uh, ball game. <laughs> um, because, yeah, yeah. because sometimes you're turning up to a group, a team, if you will, an orchestra in this case, that you've never worked with before. So you don't immediately know oh, the trumpet is having an off day. I don't need to talk about X, Y, or Z with them because they're normally great. Mm -hmm. This is this is not an issue. You 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 have to work that out on the fly to begin with, which is why oftentimes, um, you know, here with 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 my orchestra, in the first rehearsal we can dive straight into stuff. We can really you know get into the nitty gritty immediately. If I'm with an orchestra for the very first time, sometimes I just leave off certain elements of detail. Um, there'd be specific things until I've I've worked out 
you know, what their rhythm is, whether on the second day, maybe the orchestra takes a huge leap up. Um, but a huge amount of, of what a conductor does in that context and otherwise is understanding and empathizing and, and managing people. Because uh, the capacity within an orchestra, when you think about each and every one of these people has their 10,000 hours way behind them. They, they've, they've done that. They're masters of their instrument. Like I can think of in few other professions other than sports, where you are working in real time with 70 people who are masters of their trade. It's the most wonderful thing. If you can, if you can uh, release that capacity, if you can allow everybody to, to give their best, then you have um, something which is frankly in, in, in our day-to-day -day lives unparalleled. You have 70 masters performing together in real time, listening to each other, reacting to one, to one, uh, one, uh, one another, empathizing, communicating. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. Are there times when you take, I can feel emotionally the power of what it is, like that you oh, are on this stage and feeling it and then realizing this full house of this opera house behind you is moved, so, like... I, I, are there nights when you just feel that energy? Like it's, it's most it's most nights, and uh, there are, you know, the the amazing thing about classical music uh, is that it is, it is. I don't exaggerate when I say it's a kind of artistic universe. There's there's something for everyone. There's there's five hundred years of music. You, there's there's you know three minute little pieces which are super tuneful. I, I can I could name you ten off the top of my head. They're in, in, in films that people say, oh, I didn't realize that was by Shostakovich. I didn't realize that was by Mozart. I didn't realize that was by Beethoven. I love that tune. Um, then, then there are pieces that are 20 minutes long that, that are just basically dances, uh, contemporary, 20th century. And then there's these symphonies that go on for 80 minutes, operas that go on for four mm -hmm. hours. There's the equivalent of you know a, a four-minute clip from Stephen Colbert, or there's the equivalent of a Netflix series, or there's the equivalent of whatever you... It, it's, it's got all of that in it. The thing is, is that people need to be introduced to it, right? People will watch the Stephen Cobell for four right. minutes, right? Yeah. But then they're like, do I want to have this for this long? How do you introduce people to this to this kind of music? Or what do you want them to take out of it? If they haven't been exposed, if we're having someone to come to the NAC and say, just try this out. Right. What should they be in that, in that seat looking for or trying well, to take in is, or looking is, at? Yeah. And this is one of the reasons I... I I try to as much as possible, and I enjoy very much speaking a little bit off the top of the concert, just to give a bit of introduction. Because, you know, I mentioned cricket a little earlier. Mm -hmm. And when you're not in England, India, Australia, New Zealand, a couple of other places, people have this sort of funny smile when you mention the word cricket because they all think it's funny and they don't really get what's going on there um which is fine but it can it, and, and that the games can go on for days right, exactly. and wearing their but, white yeah but it could be we could substitute cricket for any sport that you personally don't know or, or play or, or anything as soon as you have a little bit of a um a little bit of a connection whether it's to a player where you hear their backstory or maybe just a couple of the fundamental rules are explained um or someone explains to you what's so particularly challenging about something, then you have a, a new set of parameters with which to judge and enjoy, and you can start to build on that seed. And in music, it's no different. So um, if you, just to go back to what you were saying about do I, do I have those experiences where I think this is, this is incredible on stage and shared experiences with the orchestra and, and the audience, um, there are pieces, some of my favorite pieces that we've 
done recently by a guy called Richard Strauss, who was a, a German composer, and he wrote when he was very young. And this is the other thing to remember. A lot of the greatest pieces ever written in classical music were written by men and women who were under the age of 40, most of it. Um, and, uh, and anyway, he wrote this piece called Death and Transfiguration, which is 20 minutes long. At the beginning, you hear in the orchestra the sound of a slow heartbeat. Boom. That's how the piece starts. And for the first six or seven minutes, you hear these little um, wisps of melodies. It's this sort of reminiscence. You're, you're taken into this very calm, dark room with a sort of single candle lit. You can really see it happening in front of your eyes. And this is old man on the edge of death. And he's attacked by fever. Then there's this kind of brutal 45-second interjection with the full orchestra. And then he settles into this reminiscence of his life. And it goes through, in the next five, six, seven minutes, it goes through his memories of being a young boy. And, and you hear these beautiful, innocent tunes and his mother. And um, then it goes into him being a, a young teenager and then feeling this idea sort of power in his his body and his his personality coming to the fore falling in love the first time the second time and there are these amazing high points very romantic music and at the end of this sort of life sequence there's an attack of fever again and he falls back into his bed and you hear this 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 rhythm from the beginning his heartbeat and then there's the final attack and he passes away and for the last few minutes of the piece some of the most extraordinary music ever written you hear his soul rise up to heaven. And you hear uh, this moment where he stands in front of the gates of heaven and the gates open and there's just pure love that comes out. And it's, it's, it's not just a transfiguration of his soul, but the themes that you'd heard earlier in the piece of his youth and of his first loves, they're transfigured into an all-encompassing love. Now, that, that piece is extraordinary it, if i told you if i were to tell the audience what i just said suddenly well I, these 20 minutes I, right i want sense. right now i'm like i want to listen to right. this now and i don't know if i would have understood that so no if you'd if you'd gone in and you'd seen the name of death and transfiguration and you'd listen to those 22 minutes there may have been moments that you thought that's nice or you might have listened to the beginning bomb 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 and you thought kind of weird beginning to a piece what is this like there's i don't get what's going on but if you know it's a heartbeat if you know that this yeah. is happening this is happening, then suddenly you can appreciate how how he the composer takes this story that i've outlined and he adds this other layer which goes from our brains me telling you a story straight uninhibited into the heart and um Performing, and there are so many pieces like that, but performing pieces like that with a great orchestra like ours here um, for an audience is one of the most extraordinary experiences because you not only, um, well, first and foremost, you sense this connection that we all have that is so fundamental in life experience. We all experience these things, and music uh, can say it in a way that is so truthful and everybody understands and everybody shares, but there are no words involved. And it's that fundamental experience of life, you know? And that's why it's so international as well. Right. Well, you've just made me right now want to go get a ticket and go watch this. Come along. You know, I, no, and I, and I think when you, and, and people just, 
they call you like this leader, like there's an energy to you that's about mm. educating and that's mm. about kind of recreating this idea of bringing different audiences mm. in. And are you looking to do that? I mean, you have the, you have the ability to do so and you've made some great changes mm. um, at the National Arts Centre. Is this something that you hope more people in your position are able to do so that it's it's exposed to so many more people that we have right. an appreciation that you're not getting the typical people off the street that already know it but are coming to learn more about it Absolutely. and be exposed. Absolutely. And and um uh yes, you know, yes, it's it's the the word education is 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 useful and we, in terms of real education we do a lot with with young people and trying to to get music into their lives. But um I think maybe in this context, sort of appreciation is 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 what I'm trying to or understanding because um, I it it drives me nuts as someone who's in this world who loves it and and I know how honest these composers are. These are these are amazing men and women who 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 are super. You know this idea that it's kind of wigs and and very austere. None of these composers are like that. But you that's know, how Beethoven we. But that's how we Mozart. know, right? And I mean, and I know you have yeah. this this passion for the work of Beethoven. And yeah. there's the Beethoven Festival that we'll, that we'll talk about. But we do. I, I mean, I do. I picture them. I can't relate to what Mozart. The, the photos that I've seen yeah. of you know yeah. uh, sitting by a piano. But when you talk about you understanding and and having this dialogue with current mm. possible composers that you understand yeah. these stories that are happening yeah it, it puts everything in such a different yeah light. but it, but these these longer forms of, of pieces and even the short ones sometimes but if you're saying to someone uh listen to a 20 minute piece or listen to a 30 minute piece or a 40 minute piece or an hour or a, you know um i don't know why anyone thinks that someone should just get it in inverted commas musicians included yeah. I, it's the everyone musicians included need a helping hand and that's not because the thing itself is inaccessible it's because it's got so much depth and breadth um that sometimes it just needs talking about beforehand it needs a little bit of of, of sort of preparing the ground of because it is non-verbal you're not going to have uh, in in a symphony uh, piece uh, the musician standing up in the middle saying, well, this is happening now, this is happening now. It's nonverbal. It's about a pure emotion. So sometimes if there is a story, if there is a narrative, if there are things to look out for, if there are, uh, you know, even, even knowing, okay, how many movements are there? When, when should I clap? Is there, is there a good or mm -hmm. is there a right or wrong moment to clap? I know that sounds like such a simple thing, but a lot but of people not. think about it. And, and they're intimidated yeah, and, and, and they'd rather... Yeah, exactly. And that's, I hate that idea. The idea that someone should be anything other than uh, sort of excited to be in the hall and feel like they can be who they are and enjoy the experience. That, that drives me nuts. And, um, but I get why it happens. I get why it happens. And, uh, and part of what I enjoy about our modern world, you know, people like, people like you, the, this, this ability now to, to talk um, in forums like this with so many people listening who, uh, where I can say, listen, come to the hall. I'm going to try and do what I can on stage to, to open the experience up for you. And I can tell you that these, these works, if you let them into your lives, and if you give me and, and them the works, the opportunity to, to speak to you, which will sometimes take investment, like a great book, it sometimes takes investment of your own time just to sort of get into it. But they'll feed you for the rest of your lives. They're, they're magnificent, enduring, uh, sort of human stories. Has there been a piece that's made you like that you cry that mm. that that you laugh and that that you yeah all, all of the above um, 
I mean, there's there's so many come to mind. The, the end of or one of my favorite uh, moments of music, and for for many classical musicians, is the end of the opera Tristan and Isolde, which is a very long and amazing story about a Celtic princess, and you know, um, and at the end, uh, uh, she uh, she dies because the man she loves has passed away, and she she comes back too late to tell, to tell him that that uh, she loves him. And uh, in in eight or nine minutes of the most stunning music ever written, she gives up her soul. She just she says, "I love you so much. I have to be with you so much. I'm gonna go too." She doesn't commit suicide. Mm -hmm. She just it just happens. She just goes. I mean, of course, it's far fetched. Mm -hmm. yeah. But in the in combination with the the music, um, it is a kind of expression of that ultimate romantic love. That I, I could think of very few things that match it. Um, the climax of Mahler's Second Symphony, it's a, it's a beer moth of a work, a very, very big work. But uh, it also has a moment of, of transcendence that is, is difficult to compare with anything in, in, in artistic output in, anywhere. Um, you know, I could, I could imagine putting together, yeah, a short list of things and, and, and giving people a short entree into what's happening at this point, you know, what, what mm. the story is. And their minds would be, I, I, I can it's think like, of no one who wouldn't be affected. Yeah. I can think of no one. And, and you're trying to do that right now, just because I'm looking at the time and getting yeah. the, you're doing that right now with, with this Beethoven festival. Mm. Um, and I, and you, you get into the point where you explain, and I think for you to understand what a composer must feel and the senses of going deaf mm. uh, while composing and writing and, and how music lives in our heads, mm. right, without actually having to hear it. Was this something like an idea or something that you've wanted to do uh, of bringing these series, of bringing this education and enjoyment mm. to to people? Yeah, well, we uh, so the we've had a big renovation at the NEC the last couple of years. The outside yeah. has been uh, rejuvenated, and during this summer, uh, there have been works going on inside, so uh, production renewal. Uh, Southern Hall has got a new shell on stage, so mm -hmm. we sit um, inside a, a, a construction that's that's put there every time we have a concert. The shell, and we have this beautiful new shell coming, which will will really transform the acoustic and the experience of listening to the orchestra. Um, we knew this was going to be happening at the beginning of the season, and I thought, you know, what would be what would be a great way to compare the old and the new? Um, and we we perform a lot of contemporary music, and I thought that could be nice. But how can you, if you've never heard a piece before, how can you compare what it used to sound like in the hall to what it sounds like now? And of course, the one of the core uh, cycles for any orchestral musician and conductor is the Beethoven symphonies. Um, and they've been performed a lot here over the years. And I thought, well, that could be perfect. Um, but also I said, of course, one of the core cycles for musicians and conductors is the Beethoven symphonies. That is something I want to get into too, because it's a bit like saying, oh yeah, Shakespeare's plays, they're great. A lot of people would, you know, they know that that's what they're supposed to say. Right. Oh, they're great. Yeah, plays, Shakespeare. Symphonies, Beethoven. Everyone like, knows that Beethoven wrote great symphonies. But why? And that question really interests me as well, because we all are, yeah, Beethoven, symphonies, Shakespeare plays. But it's very interesting to get into what, why are they important? Why are they great? Why were they formative? What was it about that cycle of nine pieces, you know, all of them under an hour, 
quite a lot of them under half an hour long. How, how can that have been so important? And so it's going to be experience of the new shell, the new acoustic, hearing uh, our orchestra in a rejuvenated space, but also getting into that question. So how is it that between the first and ninth symphonies he created a canon of works that kind of changed music forever, but also changed the way music relates to society? Because he in the course of those symphonies, was the first musician to genuinely make political and societal points in music. Um, how did he do that? How do, you, how do you do that in abstract music? Um, how did he change like, the technical side, the, the, the harmonic side? How did he open up the world for people like Wagner and Mendelssohn and even pop musicians later on? You know, how, how did all of that happen? That's something I want to explore in the series. And there are answers to that. Um, there are also open, open questions, things that we can discuss. But um, at the core are these nine amazing works performed by the National Arts Centre Orchestra, which is, and I say this as their music director, but I also said this years before I was their music director, when I was coming as a guest conductor, is one of the finest orchestras in the world that we have in the city, without question. Um, and some of the finest musicians in the world are sitting in that orchestra. And, you know, that's... That's an opportunity to relish in a short period mm -hmm. of time. It's a kind of bucket list thing. You just hear all the symphonies done. Right. You can talk and, about them. and maybe we take advantage of the fact that we have the National Arts Center here right. in the city and people don't don't quite understand just the depth of the, the talent. Yeah. Is it nice to be recognized worldwide that people recognize it or see it or absolutely. or, and or we, know what's offered here? Absolutely. And but it's also part of our you know, it's it's a very important part of our strategy in the coming years. Mm -hmm. Is is if you will getting the good news out there to the world. Uh, we're recording a lot at the moment. We're we're putting together uh, many albums where we we do one of two things. First of all, we uh, record the new Canadian works that we've been commissioning, some of which are fantastic, absolutely fantastic, getting them out into the world. But also recording the core classical repertoire, so that people in Germany and France, wherever they can hear the level of this orchestra. Um, in in greater depth and detail than they ever have before. Plus, uh, we're going to be touring, so we're doing a big right. Europe tour. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The 2019, there's there's yeah. a lot going on for the 50th anniversary of, of the orchestra. Now, Pincus, you know, mm. pretty, I, I want to say, allowed us to and put this orchestra on the map. I mean, oh, yeah. there was the, there was this... There was this feel, there was this name that kind of that brought us there. Do you find that you have made it, though, in this transition, you've made it your own as well? Like, there's, there's your mark that you're leaving and that you've established to re kind of recreate it into a, yeah, and, I, and I don't want to say younger, but um, it's just been exposed to, on a different platform. Yeah, I, we would we spent a, the early part of the interview talking about uh, youth and childhood and formative years. In, a, in, in, a, in an orchestra's history, every music director, every musician who's in the orchestra leaves their mark. And... Um, I've said it before. I said it again. Say it again. I I have been so fortunate to follow in in Pinkus Hickman's footsteps. He hired such wonderful musicians in the, to to this orchestra. He instilled such a cultivated sense of sound. These are things, you know, they're they're the foundations. And it would be the same for 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 a sports team or a managerial team. They're the foundations on which you depend as a conductor. This integrity. Uh, and I arrived and I found it there. So I was I was given the greatest gift by him, if you will, um, and uh, and yes, I I believe though also at the same time that over the last few years, 
precisely because of these deep and true foundations that he laid that I've had the freedom also to really work with the orchestra and experiment, try out new things, um, to, to, to broaden our horizons in different directions. Um, and also because I'm, a, I'm just a different personality to him. Uh, we're trying to keep all of the great things that he achieved, you know, this high-level education for, for international young soloists and so on and so forth, with with things that I love doing as well, you know, going into to schools where they don't have any music at all and, and just trying to bring music into their lives. And, and you've um, got the kid orchestra too, right? The, yeah. yeah. You're one of the, well, your exactly name is attached right. to it, right? Yeah, yeah. orchestra. The, the, I'm an ambassador for them. And th that's an amazing uh, initiative in this city. Um, the uh, orchestra uh, helps to bring music into the lives of, of kids who otherwise wouldn't have it but not just because music is great but more importantly because music as we were talking about earlier is 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 a way to to help instill communication empathy discipline um to 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 get young people working and communicating together in groups that might not have otherwise occurred um and to bring things into their lives that are incredibly valuable skills that are deeply transferable um uh, in in a context which is is fun and challenging for them, and so I'm very proud to 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 be an ambassador with them too. And um, and yes, we try we're trying so hard to uh, bring classical music in one way or, or another. And I say classical music. I what I mean is music, because also we 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 do a lot of workshops and have done a lot of workshops around the country on our tours. Where it's not about do you you know do you want to play Mozart? Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm glad if they do. But uh, also, do you write a song, rap, hit whatever you want? What is, what is your language? Um, and have you have you done that? Have you written? Have I written? Yeah, oh, yeah I used to a lot yeah. when I was a, a kid. Yeah. What what were you writing? Like oh, I wrote all all different things. I mean, I I I, I wrote classical music mm -hmm. and and I I I enjoyed. Uh, writing stuff. I mean, you have to, when you're a young musician, do uh, exercise where you do pastiche and stuff. But I also had, you know, I write sort of stuff for symphony. It was probably absolutely awful, but I, I wrote it. I wrote my novel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Did you but, ever write anything for Zoe? Uh, I've, I've written her little sort of silly songs over the years. Yeah. But they're, we, they're silly. They're fun. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we just like, we like that. <laughs> we were joking the other day, um, because both of us got particularly tanned when we were uh, away. Where were we? Down? It was here in Ontario. We were near Stratford. And it was a beautiful, you know, the summer's been mm -hmm. incredible. We got both particularly kind of orangey tanned. And Zoe started singing the Oompa Loompa song. I don't know if you know yeah. that. From Is it the Wizard of Oz? or No, no, it's it's Charlie and the Chocolate <laughs> yeah. Factory. And and I hadn't heard that song since I was about five. And, and so I... The, 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 sometimes I write little songs that sound a bit like the Oompa Loompa yeah. song because it makes us smile or laugh, you know, those kind of... But no, I'm, um, I, I digress. I'm not, I'm not a, a composer, I'm not a songwriter. I do things like that for fun. But there is so much creative uh, uh, um, capacity in young people. I mean, it's just, it, it's endless. And, and do we, you love seeing that? Like, do you love I seeing love a child's... I love it. And we, we, we did a project a couple of years ago based on a poem by Rita Joe, the, uh, the, the indigenous poet from, from Eskasoni, amazing uh, woman, and it was called I Lost My Talk. It's one of her poems. It was a very serious piece about her experience at a residential school, and it was a, a big production that we, we, we did here and, and toured around the country. But we also then did a thing called the Rita Joe Song Project where we reached out to indigenous communities, and we said to them, look, if you were writing a poem about your experiences, about your I Lost My Talk, 
what would it be? And and please write us a song, submit them. And and we had so many amazing songs and videos submitted by by school, you know, classes and stuff. And um, and that's just a, a a small example of, of, of so much that's going on around the country that we're trying to um, support and 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 also br- bring to life, where you see. Um, this this talent that is there it's in everybody i mean i always say when people say i haven't got a good ear i say well if if your best friend calls and says hello not only do you immediately know that it's your best friend at the end of the phone you know uh what their mood is how long they're probably going to want to talk to you for you know how you should continue the conversation that's just using your ear everybody has very very good ears and 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 everybody also has a capacity for for creativity. Um, and I, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm witchering. I know, but, but I love that. I, I love I, that analogy, though. Like that's yeah. so. People have great ears, and yeah. it, it, it's just a question of of tapping into it. And you know, if you were to, if you had a, a young musician standing in front of you mm-hmm. who is thirteen years old and who's been playing that violin or that cello, or that piano, mm-hmm. uh, and is kind of on the brink of where do I go from here? What mm-hmm. what what do you say to them? Oh, that's a big one. Um, uh, I guess it's. I guess the first thing I say is, do you do you do you do you love this? Do you do you do you find it rewarding when you when you play the instrument? Is this something that is part of who you are? Uh, putting aside whether you sometimes find it arduous to practice or whether you don't know if you can make a career, that would be the first question. And if the answer to that is yes, I I just I love this, then I would I would you know investigate how I could help. And is it like a, like a team? I mean, you've got, you know, 100,000 kids playing hockey and mm. 10 of them are going to make the NHL, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, at what point do you see that in your role as you're good, you're really good, yeah. you're just not, you're not going to make the orchestra, you're, you're not going to make the team? Like, yeah. is that is that on you? Is that on Well, that's, who? I mean, I have to say I'm mm-hmm. very uh, grateful that I, I'm rarely in that position. Um and it's one of, I think, the greatest challenges that educators face is that coming to that point is right. saying, I'm going to educate, but I also have to give life advice here. And I, I'm so glad I don't have to say that to a young person. To, I, either way, saying, look, you, this, is, this is good. You're going to make a career of this. Mm-hmm. That's also hugely risky. But then saying, I don't think this is your thing. Who, you know, who are you to, to stop someone going into that profession at the same time? You need if if it's if it, music, sports, if if you haven't got what it takes, it's hard. You know, it's hard then to make ends meet. And and which I think is why this is so unique and so special that you're in this world that you that you're working with the, the cream of the crop, right? You're, you yeah. you you have been, uh, and I think it's lucky and we're very fortunate to be able to have it here. We've been talking about this Beethoven series and yeah. your work and and the exposure, and so I this is great because this is the first time I have like a giveaway that we can do Yay! here on on the <laughs> podcast, which is very fun. And so I'm going to be posting the picture of us. Like this is going to go. When people are listening to it, it means it's live. But if you're going to head to my Instagram, I want you to be able to see the picture of us. Yep. Because we're going to be like, oh, my God, we got tickets to your way. And then uh, you're going to kind of tag the friend that you want to be able to take opening night. uh, And this is for the Beethoven Festival. It's uh, Thursday, September 13th. There's a wonderful... workshops and yep. talks that you're going to be doing and then of course there's the big show yep. at eight o'clock in um in southern, southern hall. hall uh 
and you have a chance to be able to go. We're going to give away two tickets. So follow me on Instagram. Be looking at and following the NAC. Tag a person that you want to be able to take with you. Uh, and then we're going to draw for that from the names that are listed. And the NAC's got two tickets to be able to give. So I'm very excited. It's the first time we're going to be doing that. I'm really excited for you and Zoe. Thank I you. You have, to, you have to give me like 30 seconds. And they're trying to wrap me up here. But I want to know what it was like for you at this young age to be able to be looking out into your orchestra and seeing this young child sitting there because Zoe played the cello right she did yeah. oh she was in the the National Youth Orchestra in but that's where you met that's where yeah, you yeah. met isn't I it I was assistant conductor yeah. yeah what was that like I mean because you're looking out as as, as you've mentioned right you're looking out on any given day at 70 yeah. you know, musicians uh, to be able to look over at this young girl and kind of go I think this is the love of my life sitting over here yeah here. well she's very beautiful and uh there was just always something there from from the beginning, and uh, it's something I'm particularly thinking about now as the baby's coming. That mm-hmm. you know, looking back on those first moments when you meet someone, the idea that a few years later you're going to have a child together, you're going to be married, is is really quite extraordinary. But um, I'm a very lucky man, I can tell you. It's interesting because she said, uh, I remember vividly because I mean, for her, she had played and grown up in that you know in that environment. Uh, and and her saying right now, there's enough. You create enough music for the both of them, yeah. for the both of you. Yeah. Uh, and that by the by where you are in your life, just having you there was mm. enough to be able to expose the two of you to this music that exactly. she didn't need to be following and and playing and and continuing. Also, exactly. that it wouldn't have worked that way. No, uh, it it may have done, but I <laughs> think this is preferable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She gets to travel. She gets to travel. Yeah. yeah. And so, what happens? You the babies do. The baby boys do. In, in a couple of weeks, you're you've you made Ottawa home, and yeah. you wanted the baby born here in Canada. Yeah. Um. And then, when are you? How do you? Have you guys thought about it at traveling with baby? And, we're we're yeah. planning um to uh, travel with him as much as possible. Now, in in the first year, um, if he travels with me, then we'll go around the world at least once because I've got a tour to Australia we have the Europe tour we'll be back and forth uh, to Canada so he'll be a very well-traveled young man yeah that's amazing I hope people follow you also yeah uh, I think you're I I've loved the pictures of of you in different parts of the world and you're very good at sharing it and, yeah. and kind of giving us a feel of what that experience is like so if you haven't already and, and you're listening to this to follow Alexander uh, on Instagram as well you'll get a good sense of kind of the movement of life back behind the scenes. if you're going to get into the car right now and you turn on the music what's playing on your car uh, probably Beethoven right now because Beethoven. yeah yeah, <laughs> but it could be anything. Is there I, I, ever, okay, is there top forty? Does top oh, forty yeah, yeah. make it in? Absolutely, top forty will make it in. Yeah yeah absolutely. yeah. Love ballads. Was yeah, there, love like ballads. it's all, like you've got everything covered. You got everything. I, I love all music. I really do, and I listen to everything. So, but you right now it's Beethoven because I'm preparing. Yeah, so it's just that's the mindset that yeah. you're in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I hope um, I hope people take advantage of, of understanding a little bit more when they're listening to something. I know now I want to be able to almost Google if I'm about to listen to a piece. Yeah. Will there will that information be available? I mean, you've made it accessible and want to be able to share. Can most people find that information? I, I really need to go to the Louvre the last 25 minutes. Can I just, <laughs> mind, that's why I'm like moving around. My, do you mind? I'm so sorry. I warned you. I warned you. Can we cut back in there? Do you mind if I go? We can just go. I'm just going to wrap it. I'm oh, going to like, go like open that, the uh, door. I'm going to open I, the I door. I go and come straight back. I'm so sorry. We're going to wrap. I'm going to come straight back because we have to I hope, yeah, I have, you have to watch this. We if have you to have do a finish up. Like, we can, we'll have to do a little, where is it? I'm so sorry, but I'd be like, for 25 minutes, I'd be like, ah. Oh. I did it as some sort of... I did it, but like, it's not that I watched, it's not because of the time. 
Okay, that was funny. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. You know what is funny? It's like we were just saying, like, I did start to see you squirm a bit. And then yeah, he's like, I, oh, I'm like, and then <laughs> Elton's like, he didn't even touch his water. Yeah, yeah. No, it's the coffee. Because I, I already had, like, yeah. two before I came. Okay. Oh, my God, I'm yeah. so sorry. Alex is back from his bathroom break. I should have known <laughs> as he was squirming in the chair. Um, but I was just saying, you know, you've given us such a great outlook on understanding when we're listening to something, how we right. can make the most and take the most out of it. Hmm. Is it offered typically or is this your style or how, how do people find more information so that they can enjoy more if they're okay. exposing themselves well, it's, to it. It's something we uh, try to do a lot. I often mm -hmm. speak at the, the top of concerts about what's coming up. Um, but we also have designated formats or designated concerts, uh, like our casual Friday concerts, which interestingly are not always on Fridays. So mm -hmm. You need to check that. But uh, it's it's called casual Friday. And there we, um, you know, we offer lo lots of different things. But uh, at the core of it will often be a, a slight deconstruction of what's going on on stage. It could be about the composer. It could be about the piece, the background, um, or the the experience of being on stage or a particular theme, but they're hosted um, uh, by, often by a guest host, sometimes by me, sometimes the musicians are speaking, um, and it's a great way uh, to get inside the workings of a piece in a, as far as I'm concerned, a very kind of accessible way for, for both older people and younger people. So casual Fridays. Okay, casual Fridays one. You're not casual on stage. Usually you're in a tux. Right. Although How? that's changing this season. Really? So we've 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 overhauled uh, what we look like on stage. Uh, we're going to be wearing, sorry, I'm normally in tails. We okay. are going to be in tuxes, but it's going to be a bit more kind of like a groovy, loungy look. Huh. <laughs> See? Smart, smart, kind of just... but very 21st century. I like it. There's always, it's a shift. It's a change. Yeah, yeah. And I just, my last question is, are you ex exhausted? Like, are you physically tired after a performance? Like, I would think the musicians are. Yeah. Uh, um, are you? No, I, I, it's rare that I'm physically tired. Um, just and also, it's rare that the musicians are truly kind of exhausted. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a workout, um, but it's something that we train a lot for. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the preparation. Yeah, and and I, I normally and nothing with the wrist. Is no, there ever touch wood? No, yeah, touch wood. I'm I'm good, but it is something I need to think about. I mean, I've I've had periods over the last few years, you know, where I'll be changing time zone a lot, conducting a lot, sitting in planes a lot, not sleeping very much, um, and. Uh, you know, your body starts to do weird things. I don't need to tell you. You, you have so many years mm -hmm. of getting up early, and um, and your body and your mind are very related. If you're carrying stress, I know suddenly the yeah, posture, suddenly we both changed yeah. our posture. So, but yeah. if, I've noticed a lot that when my mind is carrying stress, or I'm, I'm I have stress and I'm not sleeping enough, it suddenly starts to manifest itself in in bits of my body, and that'll be my neck and my shoulders and my back. Um, but because they're so fundamental to what I do, um, I had to to find ways to to ameliorate that. Exercise is great. I mean, I exercise a lot and I love it, and I find it's beneficial both physically but also mentally. Mm -hmm. I feel so much better. That's not new information for anyone, but um, but yeah, I, I I find balancing work. Uh, it always seems easier in theory than in practice. I, I, we, we have a strange uh, way of working in, in, in my profession. I know where I'm going to be on, let's say, November 3rd, 2020. I know that now. We, I, we're booked. I don't know two, where I am tomorrow. Two, yeah, we're booked two, two and a half years out, wow. three years out sometimes. Um, so... You know, as the dates start to come in and you, you're f filling your diary, I, I find it always easy to start with by saying, well, I'm going to keep those two weeks free because I know I'm going to have to study and I'd like to just also, you know, 
be calm for a bit and you keep those two weeks free and that'll be free and that's great and this season looks great I'm doing all the work I want to do and there's nice free time um, because the time is never really free um, because you've got to study and prepare and then little things come in that you don't want to say no to because they just seem enticing and you, you realize actually that's a day's travel, that's a day's travel. And then it fills up and you wonder why you're tired. But that's... As he's saying this, I'm thinking you are about to be sleep deprived. I know. You are about to have a brand new baby. I I'm know. like, let's talk about this in six months from now. I know. And I love it now. And now that he's gone to the bathroom, you can sit and talk for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to wrap things up. Uh, Alexander, it's so great to have you here. Thank you. I want to remind people too... I mean, uh, Zoe was on. She has an, a remarkable story as mm. well. This is the best part about podcasts, as I'm learning. Mm. People can listen to one and then go back and listen to others and to be able to kind of follow along in these storylines. Uh, if you have an opportunity, please subscribe, please like, uh, recommend, mm. uh, and also go back and take a look at some of the other stories and some of the other guests that we've had on. It's really been a ton of fun. And that's it. That's episode 29 of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Have an awesome day. Great to have you. Start following. Uh, and it's been a pleasure. This is great. I can't wait to go and take a, take in something at the NAC now. Good. Very different perspective. It's See wonderful. See Thank you, Leanne. That was lovely. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.